Well, right. what's up, guys? <laughs> we are live. We're using all the technology. Um, we are still trying to work on our stream. Um, we're having some issues with the audio, as you guys are probably well aware. Um, but uh, yeah, we are working on our stream. Uh, in the interim, I'm just going to preach on Instagram Live. So I'm going to preach right here. Um, so actually, can I, Chris? Yes. There we go. There we go. Can I, uh, can I flip it? You can oh. flip it. Yeah, totally flip it. Flip it. There you go. There's Chris. There's our videographer. <laughs> Hello, everyone. You Guys, probably don't know who I am. Give Chris a round of applause. He's been like, putting everything. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm going to flip this. I'm Chris. I do all the videos. Here we go. Awesome. So we are still live. So that is still happening. Uh, different format. Guys, thank you so much for your patience, um, your love for this community. We are going to get this worked out, don't worry. This will not be a, a regular occurrence going forward. Um, but guys, I, I don't know, I feel super strongly still that the, uh, the message that God has given me and us for this season is super important. So even via Instagram Live, I'm going to shorten it a little bit, but I think it's really important. We're starting a series called Light of the World. And for Light of the World, it's really building off the series we just did, The Fog. The Fog is dealing with the uncertainty the, the, the lack of clarity in, uh, in our season right now. And the claim of this series is that Jesus Christ is the light of God that pierces the fog and brings us true enlightenment. And really, the, the, the choices we have in this season, it's going to sound a little bold and perhaps stringent, but the choices we have is either to trust Satan or trust God. And I know that feels like, whoa, those are the only two options. It really, they really are, as I'm going to expound today. The, um, the, the, the verse that sort of gives light uh, or, or sort of is the framework for our series, it comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. And this is what we read. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It's really, I mean, it's very clear that we as followers of Jesus, we are not preaching ourselves. We are preaching that Jesus Christ in him, in the man Jesus of Nazareth, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. And in him, the light that was radiated from his, his countenance, from his presence. When we gaze upon him in his story, we find a life and a light that is second to none. Any other decision, in essence, is choosing something that is less than, that, that isn't complete enlightenment. And even that word enlightenment, I think it's really interesting. Um, for us, we hear the word enlightenment and we think about the, the, the philosophical schools of the 16th and 17th centuries. So those solitary individuals who were enlightened because they, they knew how to think correctly, but I don't know if you've ever read any of those guys. I took a class on Immanuel Kant, who was an enlightenment thinker, and I'm pretty sure I understood less about him uh, after the class than I did before the class. And that's not at all, thank you for that laugh, Chris, I appreciate it. And that's not at all, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. What we're, what we're saying is that every single human being, no matter how intelligent or, or how not intelligent, no matter what status or station in life, can discover true enlightenment by gazing at Jesus Christ. 
We are not the solitarily enlightened. And really, there's no such thing. Like, even those, those people who are the enlightened ones, who, who have a, 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 a mind that is beyond ours, they're really not. We're all in relationship with something, whether we realize it or not. That's the nature of being human. So consider this. I have a dog, Moses, and we'll take walks in Prospect Park in the morning. And sometimes we'll go super early. And sometimes when the sun is rising, there, there are patches of grass in the park where there is, um, there, there's no trees, there's no branches, and so there's no shadows. It's completely unobstructed light. And other times, there are, there are patches of grass where the trees are, are overhanging it. So uh, I can still see a little bit, but I, it's not complete enlightenment. That, that's really what we're getting at with this series. That this is a series about naming the ways that our souls, our lives, are obstructed from apprehending the light of God's light found in Jesus and removing them so that we might see Jesus and believe. And today I just want to set the framework. It really, the framework for this series comes from one verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. So Jesus has just finished his 40 days of temptation. He's beginning uh, his ministry, and this is what he says. This is his inaugural sermon in his ministry. He goes, from that time Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Notice, the, the first sermon of Jesus was not, hey, do better things. The first sermon of Jesus was not, uh, believe in me. It was not, um, uh, I love you even. It was repent. Change your life. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come near. It's drawn near. And that, that, that phrase, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it actually has a historical referent. Um, so it'd be like, it, you know, I'm not drawing this parallel, but just to give us something that makes sense, Imagine if, if, um, if Jesus showed up and he was like, repent, for the American dream has come near. Right? Like you hear that phrase, the American dream, and you think, oh, I, I have something physical that I'm thinking of. I'd be like, where's my Maserati? Right? Where's, where's my house? Uh, a lot of material things. But that phrase is not, uh, it, it, it means something. It means something. So what does it mean for a first century Jew? For a first century Jew that hears that the kingdom of God has come among them. Well, N.T. Wright, I think he puts it best. He goes, if someone were to speak of Yahweh's becoming king, of God's kingdom, we may safely assume that this is what they had in mind, that Israel would really return from exile, that Yahweh would finally return to Zion, and if these were to happen, there would have to be a third element as well. Evil, in the form of Israel's enemies, must be defeated. So there's three aspects, three physical aspects for the kingdom of God. That Israel, that is scattered across the, the nations, they return, they return from exile. That Yahweh and Yahweh's glory descends on the temple, that he returns to Israel. And the nations, the evil nations that are sort of obstructing the light between Yahweh and his people, it is removed. And so if you were a first century Jew and you heard that, you would immediately think national uh, restoration, national revival. You would think, all right, we're going to war. We're going to throw off the powers of Rome. This is a national revival. But in Jesus' message, even though he calls that uh, to mind, he totally redefines it. And we see this. He redefines the whole notion of kingdom of God from the outset. So just a couple verses later, 
after Jesus preaches his inaugural sermon, this is what he says. This is, um, or sorry, this is what he does. This is how he starts to inaugurate and usher in the kingdom of God. We're told that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. So what are these three elements, right? Yahweh has to return to Zion. Well, that really means one thing for a first century Jew. That means the temple. Yahweh descends back on the temple. We don't see that with Jesus because Jesus is redefining what temple means. Jesus is saying that the human, the human body, is the true temple. He, he's, he will refer to his own body as the temple. He says, destroy my body, destroy this temple, and in three days it will be raised. Later on, Paul will describe our very beings, our bodies, as temples. And if that's, if that's what it means, that the first of the, of the three elements, that Yahweh has returned to Zion in the form of, of the human temple, then what does it mean to be uh, delivered from exile? Well, it also means that Israel's bodies are no longer held in bondage, held in captivity to the evil forces that are obstructing them. Deliverance from exile has far less to do with geography or socio-political kingdoms and far more to do with encounters with God. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the light of God, is the proclamation of God's way of being joined with a demonstration of power in your very life. And when you start to wonder, what does that mean? How does that look? I think uh, what we can, um, a great way of thinking about this is Dallas Willard, who gets at this notion of what does it mean for God to meet us, for God's, um, for God's glory, God's presence, to deliver our souls and our bodies from the powers of evil. And I love the way Dallas Willard puts it. He goes, think about it like this. He goes, I am a spiritual being who has a physical body. I occupy my body and its environment by my consciousness of it, by my agency through it. But this is important. You cannot find me or any of my thoughts, feelings, or character traits in any part of my body. Even I cannot. If you wish to find me, the last thing you would do is open my body to take a look. If you really want to find me, don't cut me open. You won't find me. Why? Because I'm a spiritual being who occupies, who is localized in this body right now. At a certain point, I will shed this body and take on a new body in, this, in the, the realm of God. But right now, this is where I occupy. But if you want to find me, you can't cut me open. You're not going to find any of me there. And Willard says that's the exact same way that God occupies space. God relates to space as we do to our body. He occupies it. His, his agency, his will is in it. But you cannot find him by looking at it. There was actually only one moment in the history of the world where you could localize God in a specific, um, distinguishable form. And that is in Jesus Christ. That is where the fullness of God's spirit and every amount of agency and power is completely localized. But other than that, 
His power, his presence is near, but you can't find it by looking in the physical realm. Not in the same way that you can see us, that our spirits dwell in a physical state. And so this is how Willard describes the spiritual. He goes, spiritual is unbodily personal power. Unbodily personal power. So to encounter God's spirit is to encounter an unbodily power, agency that impresses itself upon you and to be willing to encounter. So Jesus says he is the return of Yahweh. In his very being, Yahweh has come back to the earth in whom the full measure of his light and glory is found. Jesus says that the kingdom of uniting your whole being with God's spirit is available to you. You can return from your exile and be united from God, with God. Which then brings up the third part. That has to mean that evil in the form of Israel's enemies must be removed and defeated. And what does that mean? Who are in Israel's true enemies? Well, last week, uh, we talked about the kingdoms of Satan and the kingdom of God. And we talked about how it's easy to look at all the various kingdoms of the world and imagine that they're different, but they're really not. Because they all operate on the same impulse, that of seizing a power and authority and exerting it over other people. That could be physical and military exertion of power. That could be economic exertion of power. That could be democratic exertion of power. It could be an ideological exertion of power. But the idea is the same. That any kingdom, no matter their cultural group, no matter their geography, no matter what they're uh, putting forth that seeks to exert power over others, which is all of them, ultimately is traced back to the kingdom of Satan. So then if we're putting all this together, if the true temple is not a, an actual, like, marble place or stone place but the true temple is the human body is jesus and then later after his death and resurrection is us and if deliverance from exile means that our very beings our spirits within this physical body can be delivered and be in total intimacy with yahweh through jesus then the enemies that obstruct that light from that connection are not the various kingdoms and nation states and movements that we exist among. The enemies are also spirit. They are Satan's unbodily personal power. And in a couple ways, guys, like we're experiencing obstruction today. We're experiencing obstruction through our technology that is trying to limit and hinder the light of Jesus the presence, the Spirit of God, from resting on you. Satan does not like to be unmasked. If there's one thing I've learned, he likes to sort of hide behind the shadows. Satan's kingdom is the kingdom behind the kingdom. You can't see it, but just look at it. I watched a really fascinating documentary, The Social Dilemma, on social media, and they were trying to um, name, at the very beginning, what was wrong with social media, and no one could name it, because it's all these different reasons. And I'm just sitting there saying... The, the issue is sin. The issue is Satan. Like, that is the issue. It's not one source cause. It traces all the way back to the kingdom behind the kingdom. 
and which was far more sinister, far wilier. And he's everywhere. In this series, guys, we're going to unmask his power. Starting today. And I don't care if we have to come through Instagram Live. We're going to unmask his power. He will not stop it. The obstructions that are put in the way of your very life and being, encountering the love and the presence of God, will be named and cast out. That is our promise. And even when we look at this passage earlier on in Matthew 4, where it talked about how Jesus, he announces the kingdom of God is here. And then what does he do to back that up? He goes around all of Galilee, teaching the good news, delivering minds, and then he starts curing diseases. Those suffering from severe pain. Those possessed by demons. Those having seizures and paralyzed. He healed them. So it's not just an intellectual enlightenment. It's also a physical enlightenment. His light dwells in our bodies. What are the obstructions that Satan is using in us? Well, diseases and sicknesses, potentially. Not necessarily all of them. That requires discernment. Sometimes God uses our sickness to teach us about something. But ultimately, at, 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 at the end day, on the last day, all disease and sickness is obstructing us from a right relationship with who God is. Kingdoms and nations, they obstruct us. Wealth. Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon and wealth. The love of wealth is something in our hearts that obstructs him from coming and dwelling in us, delivering us from exile. The Pharisees that love praise of others more than God. So many things that are these calcified elements within our hearts that make us feel self-reliant or make us feel some sense of pride. But ultimately, we are not dependent children in perfect intimacy with God, which is what is available to you. If you want it, it is available to you. Aldous Huxley, he describes modern man and woman in our society so well. And I dare say, even if you would call yourself a Christian, you might find yourself in this description sometimes due to these obstructions. This is what he writes. He goes, most men and women lead lives at worst so painful, at the best so monotonous, poor, and limited, that the urge to escape, the longing to transcend themselves, if only for a few moments, has always been one of the principal appetites of the soul. How many of you want to transcend yourself? How many of you want to escape and why? The reason why you want to escape is because, as H.G. As, um, Wells says, darkness entombs us in decay. When we are stuck in darkness, where the light isn't setting us free, we are decaying. And of course we want to escape from that. Friends, Jesus is offering you a light that is not beholden to any of the forces of this world anymore. There is a kingdom of darkness that is attempting to thwart and hinder the light of Jesus Christ from fully manifesting itself in the world. It will not prevail. It's already been defeated at the cross. It's already been defeated when Jesus suffered everything and was resurrected. It's already been defeated. Death couldn't do it. But still, even though the, the victory is his, it's a slow march because Jesus will not exert power over. He will only invite. He will only invite. And what I want to do at the start of this series 
is ask you to consider what are the obstructions in your soul that are keeping you from full intimacy, joyous love and light with Jesus. And how do you know this? Well, if I were to ask you, what's your initial response if I said, do you love Jesus? Like, do you love him? Is there anything that quivers inside of you? Is there anything that gets defensive? Like, do you really love him? Like, do you want him more than anything else? Do you want his intimacy, his friendship? Do you want to hear his voice and follow him more than anything else? More than you want anything else? Is that what you want? If it's not, if there isn't a full, like, bursting of, yes, that's what I want, then there's an obstruction in some degree. And that's not to say that Christians don't suffer and mourn. Of course we do. But even in our mourning, even in our mourning, there's this desperation, this heart that longs for Jesus, for his light, because it brings a life and a joy and a peace that nothing else satisfies. Like all this Huxley says, without this light, any other form of light that is promised us never lasts. It never lasts and it makes our lives at worst so painful, at best so monotonous that we just want to get out of it. Jesus has said, I have come to give you life and life to the fullness. We don't have to have that now. We don't have to have that. And so what is your exile? What is your separation from God? Are you possessed by sickness? Disease? Is there a shame that paralyzes you? That literally makes you unable to receive God's love? Is there, are there addictions, secret addictions that no one knows about? It's all in the secret, in the darkness? Are there sticky narratives that are lies that keep you back from knowing your identity as a, a child of God? Are there thoughts that no one sees? Are there mistakes that you've never confessed? Are there places that make you uneasy due to the years of sin in them? Are you possessed by your love of money? Do you have to have a secure finance, secure finances more than you have to have Jesus? Are you possessed by irrationalism? Does it have to make sense, according to your terms, more than the love of God? Is there abuse, trauma? We all have these things to some degree or another that are holding us back to full, from full intimacy, full deliverance with Jesus. And we are going to name those. We're going to name Satan's ploys. We're going to name Satan's ploys this series. It is not just going to be a proclamation but it's going to be a demonstration with power. And so we're going to start that right now. And I'd ask you, as you're, wherever you're tuning in, um, just put your hands out and open. And let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone who's tuning in. And I pray, God, that they would see, even in perhaps the, the ways that technology has gone wrong today, Evidence of attack, evidence of a kingdom that does not want to be named, that does not want to be unmasked. But we say, Lord, that our hearts still praise you. Our hearts worship no one but you, Jesus. The darkness cannot last. The, the night is already drawing to a close. The sun is rising. And I long, Lord, for every person tuning in to know the fullness of your love. And so I pray that right now, God, that your Holy Spirit would come upon them in power. That you would call to mind, that it would come to their heart, 
swiftly. The obstructions. Things they trust in more than they trust you. Past pain and shame and trauma. Sicknesses that they've been living with that you don't want them to live with anymore. Call it to mind and tell them that you want to drive it out. That your spirit, your unbodily personal power wants to dwell within them. Deliver them from exile. Bring them back into friendship with you, God. Would you do that, Lord? Right now. And we're going to sing some songs. And I pray that even as we sing, that they would encounter you, God, in fullness. Before we do, I just want to let you guys know, and there'll be more announcements coming out, that we're going to start something this fall aimed at just this, called Hoyt Street Sessions. Because our office is on Hoyt Street. And so Wednesdays this fall, we're going to gather um, for live stream prayer and worship. And we're going to open it, following the laws and the regulations of our city, open it for about 10 to 15 uh, people who can sign up to show up. And in those spaces, on those Wednesday nights, we are not just going to sing and worship. We're also going to pray boldly. For, so if, if God brought something to mind, and I know he did, I know he did, that you need prayer for, I'm going to encourage you to sign up for um, a, a slot in these Hoyt Street sessions. Like I said, more information to come, but they're basically going to be on Wednesdays from 7 to 9. We're going to have two slots, a 7 to 8 and an 8 to 9. It's going to kick off on uh, Wednesday, September 23rd. Um, more info to come on that. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to not live with this obstruction any longer. That there's a life of abundant, of abundance, there is a light, there is a presence of God that wants to dwell within you in power so that you don't have to feel like you're decaying in the darkness anymore. And that starts right now. Thank you guys for rolling with the punches with us today. I don't know if you sense it, but I'm more fired up than ever. I'm one of those guys that when I take a punch, I get crazy. I don't know if it's the Irish in me, but my eyes go a little, little crazy. I'm like, let's do this. Let's do this. So we're going to go after it. We are going to go after the things in your heart. Because I am contending. I am contending for the fullness of what God has made you for as a child of his. And I will not stop until you contend for it for yourself. So right now, let's sing a song of response together as a community. And then we'll take communion.